podcast this week we have the man who was the 11th Doctor Matt Smith here to talk Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and the man who should be the 13th Doctor Goosebumps star Jack Black come on admit it you know that would be awesome all that and more on the movie podcast that has sold out our 200th podcast recording live at the Prince Charles Cinema on February 24th which is awesome thank you so much for buying tickets now we have to go ahead and do it uh, hello pod I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire podcast this week I'm joined by three three colleagues of such lethal cunning first off is our soundtrack supremo a lady who loves composers so much she, she's making a list. It's Emma uh, Thrower. You know, <laughs> you do joke, but he's had quite a good year. Has he? Yeah. Isn't he dead? Well, I'm pretty sure he's dead. His music popped up in 45 years. I'm going to Google it. Popped up in Peanuts and White God. So, okay. he's hey. doing right. Yeah. Mm. Go list. Go so list. He clearly doesn't have a peanuts allergy. <laughs> another, good, another good joke. Uh, next up is our Jurassic World star. A man whose favourite soundtrack cue is a deleted track from uh, from Michael Giacchino's uh, score from that movie, the simply titled but moving Edmund's theme, brackets, <laughs> Lament for Edmund. Uh, it's Nick mm. Desemlian. How are you? Hi, Chris. Yeah, not so much deleted as rejected. Sadly. <laughs> 90 minutes long, uh, entirely flute and recorded naked, but um, they didn't go for it. Just, just to be clear, you, you recorded this yourself? Uh, possibly. <laughs> and when you say flute... Uh, okay, last <laughs> but least. Okay. Sorry for the trial, oh my God. Uh, last but least is our geek queen, a lady whose favourite soundtrack cue is Carry On Wayward Son, am I right, Helen O'Hara? Yeah, am I? yeah, yeah. I see what you did yeah. there. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. Because uh, Chenson had a lackles. Uh, he he sings it, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> no. He one, doesn't. one of them. One of the, one of them. Neither the, of them. Really. The human centaur that is. There was well, there was that one karaoke scene, but but neither yeah. of them actually. I have seen uh, I've seen footage at a convention of of one of the paddle lackles uh, right. singing, <laughs> "Carry On Wayward Son." Got good pipes for a half man, half horse. I have to say, that's pretty good. Well done. When him. did they become centaurs? <laughs> I'm so confused. Uh, uh, season four, episode ten. <laughs> Okay, right, on with the uh, the nonsense. Uh, here's a question. Uh, be warned. <laughs> this is an interesting question. The question is from Cal from Oxfordshire, and it's spoiler-heavy, all right, for every film ever made. Okay, but... And morbid. Yeah. Yeah. Up until a certain film, I believe... This is the question. Up until a certain film, I believe Will Smith was the only A-list actor to have never been killed off in any of his films. Are there any major actors that hold that accolade? This got us talking a lot in the office yesterday, but obviously, because of the nature of the question, we're going to be throwing around a lot of spoilers. So if you want to avoid spoilers for lots of films, <laughs> I really can't be any more specific than skip the next... Let me see. 65 minutes. No, the next five, <laughs> the next five to ten minutes, because we could talk about this for a long time. So an actor who has never died on screen. An I actor, think I've got one. An A-list actor. I think I've got one. Well, we've got to define A-list first. Well, let me just say the name. Okay. Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Top of my list as well. Yeah. yeah. Never died, to my best of my wow. knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of a single instance of him dying or no. being beheaded, mm. run no. through, mm-hmm. no. blowing yeah. up. I mean, attacked by orcs. Like, it just hasn't happened, has it? Hasn't. He's actually had, do you know what, two of his most recent films, he actually didn't die. And I was really yeah. disappointed. He didn't yeah. die in, he was in it several films last yeah. year, he didn't die in a single one. Yeah. I mean, is that uh, a spoiler, though, to say he didn't die? It, it kind of is. It was so much that we celebrated it in our review of the year, because Sean Bean lives. He, he survived in every single movie. He has so far survived the O2 adverts as well. Yeah. That is amazing. It's, wow. a, it's not a question of the O2, see what you... <laughs> I'm always expecting that to happen, to happen at some point. Yeah, Sean Bean, who is the A-listiest of all the A-listers. His face opens doors. 
Wow. It's true. It's an un- <laughs> unusual a, way a unique of... uh, talent. I've got yeah. to make a confession. I found a website. I don't know if you guys came across this. It's called Cinemorg. And it is <laughs> no. essentially a database of how, I don't know who runs it. I don't know what issues they may have. But okay. it is a database of every movie star's death and how they died. And there's, right. a, you know, so I, it reminded me that Bill Murray was killed by a mole <laughs> in City of Ember, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with this yesterday. Uh, basically, Nick was, he would type in like an A-list star, say Nicolas Cage or Harrison Ford, and they'd be, and he would go, oh, or Tom Cruise, for example. Let's use Tom Cruise as an mm. example here. And he would say, Tom Cruise has died four times on screen. Well, Can you yeah. name them? Can okay. you name and, and the and the method of dispatch? But in Edge of Tomorrow, <laughs> he died like a bajillion. Yeah. So you have to like, but then, that makes up for all the films where he's arrived. But then that led me to say, okay, now we have to be more specific about this because in Edge of Tomorrow, he dies and he comes back. 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 Thank you. But <laughs> he's alive at the end of the film, crucially. Okay? Yes. So then I said, all right, okay, so let's establish parameters here. All right, so first of all, we can't go too far back into the past because guys like Bogey, Jimmy Cagney, they would just die. They would just turn up and just get killed. It would be part of their contract. They would stipulate, I have to die. Not really. So, but lots of the old classic movie stars, they died quite a lot. So I don't Laurel to- and Hardy ever did. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Genuinely. This is true. But there would have been a really dark ending to their yeah. <laughs> just crushed by a piano like, and they just fades to black. Abbott and Costello meet to the grim, unending <laughs> black void. So, okay, so maybe not those guys. So we have to, uh, I'm saying it has to be relatively modern. I know you have someone who's, who's from the olden days. Yeah, Doris Day. Doris Day. Okay. Didn't die. It still hasn't. No. So, well done her. It also has to be someone who is definitively not dead in the film. Which doesn't mean not dead at the end of the film, because Cruz isn't dead at the end of Edge of Tomorrow. Okay? But John Tafolta is alive at the end of Pulp Fiction. But, of course, he definitively dies. Yeah. So he would be on the list. Well, this is tough. Yeah. I, I, I started looking people up on Cinemorg, and I'm probably on some watch list now. Um, <laughs> but I, I went for younger people, and I checked Jennifer Lawrence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even she's died in one film, Serena. Okay. In which she, she burns herself to death. I haven't seen it. Sorry, fans of Lumberjack movies. <laughs> um, but it's it's tough. And then you look at comedians and you think someone like Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy's surely never died, but he has in Dreamgirls. Dreamgirls, yeah. And he fakes his own death in life. How yeah. about Adam Sandler? That was a name that was coming up when I was looking around. Mm. I mean, he's a star. He opens films. They get big box office. Despite... You could the argue... Atten- yeah, the click, efforts of- but at the same time, he doesn't uh, definitively at the end of the film. Uh-huh, uh-huh. If he survived the ridiculous six, he can <laughs> survive anything. Maybe he is unkillable. Mm. Okay, well, but little Nicky, is he dead to begin with? No, he's just the devil's son. All right, so Nick, let's answer this Adam Sandler thing once and for all, because he's, he's a comedian, he stars in comedy movies, those people tend not to die, but... He's died three times, but is brought back to life each time in Little Nicky, Click, and Bedtime Stories, but he is killed properly in one film Juice Bigelow European Gigolo Chris and I'm surprised you didn't get this <laughs> oh Chris in which uh, he's murdered off screen by Jerome Crabbe of course he is of course he is of course oh how did I not get that <laughs> so there you go your Jerome Crabbe uh, knowledge is, is really failing it's really failing because I actually interviewed uh, Jerome Crabbe once you I, didn't I, ask him about this no, it was for Juice Bigelow as I recall mm. I'm pretty sure it was Reduce Bigelow, uh, European Gigolo. So but, maybe you uh, couldn't ask because it would have been a spoiler. It would have been a spoiler. Release, yeah. 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 Uh, in which he plays, not to give, well, probably giving everything away, but he plays the man whore killer who's going around killing man whores for which Eddie Griffin's character is being framed. And oh, uh, yes. one of the murders is memorably 
memorably announced on TV as in his gayest murder yet. <laughs> I, 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 that, I disapprove of that film wholeheartedly, uh, obviously. Yeah, there are yeah. there are a couple of actors who, who very rarely get killed. I mean, Harrison Ford, until recently, had only died twice. Yeah, yeah. Mosquito Coast and What Lies Beneath. Uh, what Lies Beneath, yeah, yeah, when he was a baddie, a baddie badden. And Steve Martin is only killed twice, Pennies from Heaven, and he is killed by Rick Moranis in Little Shop of Horrors, which is an amazing, <laughs> yes, that was amazing an, way to go. That's the way I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Such a good thing. And then, of course, he's fed to an enormous <laughs> space plant. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's exactly how I want to go. Feed me Seymour. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a theory regarding the Expendables <laughs> and the reason why Stallone chose everybody. Because if you think about it, when has Chuck Norris ever died? Well, that would involve having to watch every Chuck Norris film, which Nick pretty much <laughs> did. I've I, I pretty much done it, but remember surprisingly little. I interviewed, okay. I interviewed Chuck in 2006, and I spent a weekend watching Chuck Norris, nothing but Chuck Norris films. Sure. I highly recommend Invasion USA. <laughs> Does he not die in Missing in Action? I die. Because isn't Missing in Action 2 a prequel to Missing in Action because he was dead? I haven't seen it for a long, long time. So Chuck, I'm... if you're listening, please, uh, please send us a, send, us a, send us an email. Or tell us the answer via your mind powers. <laughs> and Arnie, hasn't he only ever died in End of Days? Well, if you don't count the Terminator films... He keeps coming back. And it's like that Stallone, line, I'm coming back. <laughs> that is his, his famous line, yeah. Stallone's died a I'm couple of back. times. Yep. But not many. But then Jackie Chan, I feel, needs to join them. Because from a quick scan, he's died in four films out of the 127. So that's... It's a good ratio. That's a 3% chance of dying yeah. in each film. So, you know, if you want to go on a trip <laughs> with anybody, I'm thinking you go Jackie Chan. Or Harrison Ford. Or Harrison Ford. Yeah. I mean, cause and you, he's in The Expendable. You don't, for example, go on a trip with Leonardo DiCaprio. No, no. Who talked in interviews around The Revenant about his real life brushes with death. Like yeah. he went in one of those cages to go diving with sharks, but something went wrong and the shark got in the cage with him, a great white <laughs> shark in the cage with him. And then he was on a plane and one of the engines blew up. And then there was some other like brush with certain death that affected Leonardo DiCaprio. So maybe just keep your distance. Yeah. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's another thing. Act- actors safety. who should be dead. I mean, Jackie Chan, if you think about all the stunts he's done oh, and yeah, yeah. all the injuries he's had, you know. Should be dead. Should be, should dead. be dead. And or frankly, Land- Nicolas Cage, because when we interviewed him for the podcast, he talked about relaxing by going in a cage with a great white shark outside. Yeah. He also drinks coffee to make himself sleepy. He's wow. an amazing man. Orlando Bloom. Broke his dead. back or neck. Orlando. Yeah, or possibly back. both. He's died. He got shot to death in Ned <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> Of course oh my did. goodness! Yes, <sighs> I have a theory about this. I have a theory about why it happens so rarely to A-list stars. It's because they don't want to be seen to be dying on on the big screen. It's a relinquishing of power that I don't think they necessarily want to do. But at the same time, I think at a certain point in an actor's life, you have to man up. You have to be shown to uh, no longer be invincible. Which is why eventually even Arnie dies, Will Smith dies, the big guys, the guys who are gods who walk among us, living statues. <laughs> Every actor wants mm. to do a death scene. I mean, it's yeah. going to be one of the things that, you know, is maybe not fun to do, but it's one of the, you know, everyone wants to die on screen. Yeah. I'd like to. I would demand a death scene along the lines of Wrath of Khan. Like that to me okay. is, that's the <laughs> way you want to go on screen. That scene, I think, is yeah. fantastic. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Even like the new breed of big stars, like Channing Tatum, he's dying left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so he's not invulnerable. All, th- all three, actually, in, in one film recently. Um, <laughs> but I think, I d- I'm not sure it is a power thing. I think they do quite like I think it was maybe in the 80s. I think that generation of action men can be seen to show any weakness. Mm. I don't think that's the way of it with, with our modern action heroes. I think that they do try to go for something slightly more complicated and mm. nuanced than the, the unkillable men of the 80s. It's very tough. I cannot think of many 
even Steven Seagal has died. You know, I think he has only died once out of. I mean, he's got an even lower ratio than Jackie Chan. Yeah, mm. yeah. Good executive decision. Executive decision, and that was so well used, though. Mm. You know, that was a fantastic scene. All right, we'll bring this to end because again, you could just pretty much name. I think any major A-list star, male or female, over the last 20 years, and chances are they will have carked it at some point. But this is the Empire Podcast, so let's do the definitive test, the only way we know how, by running through the cast of the Avengers. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> died. Yes, dead. lots of times, lots of times. Chris Evans, yes, he has died on screen. Sunshine. Spoilers. Yep. Uh, well, it's yes, all, it's, it's all spoilers. It's fine. And you could, of course, argue he dies in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, where he turns into a... He just turns into coins. What? ...pile of coins, which is how I want to go, <laughs> incidentally. Chris Hemsworth dies. Star Trek. Oh, yeah. no. Heroically, of course. Yeah, very heroically. He's, he's the Hemmers. That's also uh, a good death. That's a really good death. Star, Star Trek death. does do good deaths. Scarlett Johansson's does. died on screen. Yeah. Yes. point. Mark Ruffalo's died on screen. Yep. Yep. Jeremy Renner has died on screen. This is a good one, sorry, but I know we're, we're going on a bit, but Will Ferrell in The Goods falls to death while skydiving in an Abe Lincoln costume after Jeremy Piven accidentally switches his parachute with a bag of sex toys. <laughs> but of course, I think we've all been there, haven't we? I think we have. Well, that's it. Always check your parachute if Jeremy Piven is in the area. All right, Cal from Oxfordshire. I think we have pretty much nailed it. Even Goldblum, even Jeff Goldblum has died on screen. Oh my God, I don't want to relive that again. That was horrible. Horrible moments. Oh. Anyway, sorry for spoiling all those films, although we didn't name as many movies as, as possible. Okay, now you can listen to the podcast again if, you, if you're spoiler-phobic. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can send them into us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us, as Cal from Oxfordshire did, to his credit, uh, podcast at Online. And if you're coming to the live show in a couple of weeks, do start thinking about the questions that are going to stump us on stage live in front of an audience. Please <laughs> go easy on us. All right, time now for our first guest. He's the 11th Doctor. And uh, if I was paying attention to Terminator Genesis, and I think I was... Mm. Uh, Skynet? Is he Skynet? Is he a human I mean, sure, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, hard yeah. To, it's hard to tell. It's so hard to tell. And now he's battling zombies in Pride and Prejudice... And zombies, he is, of course, Matt Smith. And earlier this week, he was speaking to the 14th Doctor, Helen O'Hara. Yes. <laughs> oh, imagine. Can you? Oh, we're going to get so many tweets now. I want a scarf and a bow tie. Ooh, and maybe a top hat, frock coat. Here's the interview with Matt Smith. Enjoy. So welcome to the Empire Podcast, Matt Smith. Hi, thanks for having me on the Empire Podcast. (laughs) So you're in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. Uh, What was your reaction when you first heard the title? I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, and then I read the script and then I found out loads of my friends were doing it. And then I went for a beer with the director, which ended up and turned into like four. And then I was doing the film. Nice. That's yeah. quite, quite a smooth and civilised way to join Well, you know, I like to keep it smooth and civilised. Very wise, very wise. So did you originally, were you always lined up for Mr. Collins? No, I mean, it was completely random, really. It was, you know, you get a call from your agent and say, oh, how about this? And you think, oh, okay, yeah, why not? So, no, it was all, you know, and then I had an idea for the part where I thought, actually, it could be cool if, what if he's secretly in love with Mr. Darcy somewhere? <laughs> and then here we are. And here we are. He is the funniest thing in the film. And it is a very it's funny very film at times. Oh, really? No, I, thought he was, I thought he was really fun. Thank you. Um, I so, appreciate that. So, but, but, but he is, you know, he's not, he's not the coolest man no. in, in literary history. I, it's very rare that I play cool people. <laughs> I don't know what, is it, I'm not sure what that says about me, but yeah. Hmm. 
Mm, I know. Damn. Yeah, yeah, damn them to hell. Such a shame. Uh, it's actually a play- part my mum played in school. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah, she played Miss, Mr. Mr. Collins. It was, a, it was a girls' school. They didn't have a lot of oh, choice. God, so it's um, stiff competition. <laughs> it, Will, yes. Will she see the film? She will see the film, yes. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Well, tell her, I'm, you know, I hope I do her Collins justice. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. So, so basically, was that, was that your way into it? Was, it? was it being in love with Sam? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I thought this could be... Yeah, because, you know, the thing is, these, these things have been done, and they've been done well before, and, uh, you know, to just do it the same again. Not the same, but... And also the fact that you've got zombies in this movie, I think, allows you to make slightly bolder choices tonally, as it were. So I thought, actually, what's a sort of interesting spin on this guy? What's, what's an interesting way in, just to keep myself occupied? And, um, and then, you know, shamefully, I thought it was that. <laughs> and does this reflect a real, uh, real-life admiration? For Sam, yeah, because I know you've 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 talked about being a fan of Ian Curtis and how you. Yeah, I mean, and ever since I saw Control, you know, sort of everyone fell in love with Sam Riley. Then didn't they, in some way, shape, or form? And yeah, yeah, he's he's a see, he Sam is cool. Sam's actually cool. There's no justice in the world that's true. I mean, damn them to hell. Well, speaking of, I mean, talk to me about zombies then, because, you know, had you read this book or had you read Pride and Prejudice? God, no. No, I hadn't gone near it. It was just, a, yeah. No, 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 I hadn't. I, I hadn't read any Jane Austen, actually. But actually, it's a, it's a really good book. Yeah. Both of them are actually very good. Um, and, uh, and, you know, hopefully this film, if it, if it can do something, is it, it can draw people to the work of Jane Austen, you know, because I think if you're 15... Maybe having Jane Austen with zombies is slightly more approachable, particularly for a bloke, yeah. than just straight up Jane Austen and girls talking about marriages and stuff. Because mm. it never really appealed to me in that way. But then I, yeah, I, you know, and I and I found them really useful as an actor. Both books, particularly the original novel, actually, mm. like it was lots of little bits that you can add. Lots of little character touches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think even Pride and Prejudice and Zombies basically lifts huge swathes. Yeah. so it still kind of comes in yeah exactly and there's and you know I think that's one of the challenges of a film like this is that you've got to balance the tone between the pride and prejudiceness and the zombiness and you know therein lies the success oftenly but um, you know hopefully there's enough of both for it to feel balanced I have to confess my, my, my favourite bits were still the Pride and Prejudice bits. I really? Just think See, that's fun. that's interesting. That's very interesting, right? So, so the zombies sort of felt superfluous in 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 many ways, did they? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, there, there's still the they're still exploring a lot of the same ideas in a slightly different way with yeah, the zombies yeah, yeah. and class issues. So, what, so, would you have rather just seen with the same cast a yeah. retelling of Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, I thought it was really well cast. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, well, that's <laughs> cool. But, I mean, I like zombies as well, so it wasn't, you know, they weren't a bad thing. Yeah, it I wasn't just, a complete car yeah. crash, but, but, but um, no, but that is quite nice to hear that that's the bit of it that you liked, you know? So, how was it on set? I mean, did you, they, they talked a lot when I was there about the Bennett girls forming a sort of gang. Yes. Uh, were you outnumbered and or bullied? Yes, constantly. Bloody women clubbing together, being cool and sexy and ninja-like, and then as men being pathetic on the sidelines and reduced, emasculated. Um, but on set was a laugh, actually, because we're all sort of, you know, relatively the same age. Some of us are a bit older, me and Sam and Jack, were the old men, really. Um, but great cast. And then, and then people like Charles Dance and Sally Phillips and the girls and 
some really cool actors and young actors like Millie Brady and Ellie Bamba who were really up and coming and there was a, there was a nice balance and a good energy of people and then we had a laugh outside of work as well mm-hmm. which was which is what it's all about isn't it I think yeah Especially if you're doing a lot of shooting in fields in yeah. England in November. Exactly. Which... I threw a Halloween party, which was a riot. Really? What did you dress up as? Oh, I don't know, really. Just a pillock. But, I, I mean, it was, the, it was the Saturday before the Monday that we shot the dance, the ball. Okay. So I was really hungover. Even though it was a Saturday, I still felt it on the Monday. Right, yeah. yeah. That's the sign of a good party. The sign of a good party, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, okay, I, w- I wanted to talk about some other stuff that you've been up to recently okay. uh, as well. Uh, I, I wanted to start, unsurprisingly, with, with Doctor Who, because yeah. just because we had the news last week of, of Stephen Moffat finishing his run. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how, wh- you know, what was your reaction? Did he, did he call you up and tell you? Yeah, he did, actually, yeah. Well, he texted me saying that he was um, going to send the press release out the next day. I mean, obviously, for me, that's... Um, that's sort of the last of my era, really. You know, Karen, Arthur, Jenna, Stephen, now gone. So, so God, it's like they're all dead. Um, but <laughs> very um, much not dead. Very much it. not dead. I, you know, I think he's just done a fantastic job. I think, I think he did a wonderful job in reinventing it because you know it was so brilliant before, and he had to give his own spin on it, and he did that. Um, and he's told some great stories. You know, he's seen two doctors out. He's seen some great companions come through he's, he's done brilliantly for river song and 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 strax and you know just really created some great monsters as well when you look at the silence and the weeping angels yeah. and really lasting i think you know has 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 left his mark and his legacy on doctor who which is um not easy to do well and um yeah i'm proud of him and and i'm proud of but that I was, you know, his doctor, so to speak, or one of his doctors. Yeah. How does it feel now you've got a bit of distance from it? It's interesting, you know, it's it's quite a hard show to leave mm. because, you know, you could sort of make Doctor Who forever and be happy. It, it, and, and so it's a bit of a wrench, but it's nice, you know, pastures new and all that, and, mm-hmm. and you just become a fan. Yeah. And it never really leaves you. Like, the majority of things that people say to me are Doctor you know, it's not. It's nothing else I've done. It's always about Doctor Who, generally. And I think, you know, and Stephen said to me, look, this is going to be, that's it for the rest of your life. And hopefully, to a generation of sort of 5 to 14-year-olds, I'll be their doctor mm-hmm. when they're 50, you know. Or, you know, <laughs> I won't be, but um, <laughs> I guess, you know, that's the charm of it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Sylvester McCoy is still my doctor. Exactly. Right? You know. He's your guy, you yeah. know. And no matter what young upstart comes up and tries to sort of take his place, he's your guy. But I still, I've still, i still really enjoyed the new era. I think the storytelling has gotten really interesting. Really? And, and the yeah, doctors have all been so distinct, but also... Yeah, yeah, and really different, and really Very good actors. Dare I say? Um, that's true. I think I think there's some you know there's some top actors in there. So yeah, I love it. It was kind of when you were there that it sort of broke out in the US. It seems to me. Is that fair? It had, it had started, well, but like I was at yeah. Comic Con in 2009, and there were a few Doctor Who costumes. And by 2011, 2013. Like, yeah, they were outnumbering Star Wars. It was just yeah. it was everywhere. I mean, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm really proud of in the. Uh, one of the things that, particularly me and Karen and Arthur, went really hard at was 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 pushing the show over there, and BBC America backed it actually. Um, and weirdly, I mean, it seems odd that it wasn't pushed there uh, in the same way before because they have such a culture of science fiction; they love it, you know, and they soak it up. And actually, a show like Doctor Who that has that legacy and that history, you know, and that type of storytelling. Um, 
And you know, and what's nice about that as well is it, 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 it still always felt quintessentially British. Mm. You know, it's something that we can be proud of. It's our show. It's the blue police box, and it will ever be thus. You know, um, but yeah, you know, I suppose when I look back on my time, that's one of the things that that I'm I'm proud of actually mm. because we, I mean, we saw it happen. Yeah. We saw it happen from year one to year three. We'd go back, and like you say, there were just more people in rooms, and we'd go, "Whoa!" And then you know the figures and all that stuff, which I try not to pay too much attention to. But those things do, you know, you hear about them, and you go, "Oh, it's cool, man!" Like, yeah. So, so just to be clear, viewing figures, not action figures. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, whichever way you look at it, it's sort of yeah. How do you quantify these things nowadays? How many action figures have you got of yourself? <laughs> yeah, man. It was. Um, it was, it was, it, and just an interesting thing to sort of witness or be part of something that, that feels like a genesis, as it were. Um, I'm going to come back to the word genesis in a while. No. But uh, do you think you succeeded in making bow ties cool? Yeah, at least to me. <laughs> you <laughs> You're know. not wearing one today, just to clarify. No, I'm not. Although, you know, yeah, I know. I th- but, you know, again, that's Stephen Moffat. Although it was me that said, I want to wear a bow tie. I, I had the tweed blazer on and thing and stuff, and I just said, something's missing. And I said, can I try a bow tie on? And Stephen and Piers and Beth, the producers at the time, were like, no, not a bow tie. It's going to look so ridiculous and make you look old and rubbish. And I was like, please, let me try it on. And then I tried it on, and they, it was like a sort of light bulb. It was one of those moments where they went, oh. And then Stephen came up with that line. Bow ties are cool. <laughs> and then I just kept saying it. Yeah. About fezzes. Everything. Hats. Oh, the fez. And that was because I kept saying to him, can I have a hat? And he wouldn't give one. I was like, I want a hat. I want to wear a hat. And he was like, and then he gave me a fez. And I was like, all right. And he thought I wouldn't like the fez, but actually I loved the fez. So then he kept blowing it up. <laughs> you bastard, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, that there's some kind of be careful what you wish for message. Yeah, somewhere. don't wish for fezzes. Don't wish for fezzes. Um, so so how, how important was it to do something very different when you kind of came out of Doctor Who? Because I, I think the next thing I saw you in was American Psycho on stage yeah yeah I mean that was literally the first thing I did after it I suppose um, uh, I don't know I just I was just having this conversation on the phone actually I, you know there's no great plan I don't have any great sort of strategic plan I just sort of as an actor it will be like 2015 and there'll be 10 parts that you could maybe play eight of them will go to the other people that are above <laughs> you and two of them you might be close to so you know and then you try and make them as good as you can but I'd, I'd always wanted to try a musical. I'd always loved that book. I'd always loved that character. So that was a sort of, that felt like a good risk. Mm. It's a big challenge, like oh, doing a musical. God, it was the, struck the fear of God into me. I can't tell you. It was just, there's nothing quite like it. It was a total panic. Well, it didn't, it didn't come across that way. Well, thank you. Yeah, but, but I, yeah, it did strike, strike me as if you, if, you, if you set out to do something com- as different as possible, you could not get... Yeah, different. That's amazing. Yeah, well, and you know, I, I, I think hopefully that's one of the, the sort of actor. You know, ideally in my romanticized version of myself as an actor, that's the kind of actor that you want to be. Is one that goes, oh, he's doing that. Oh, he's doing that. Oh, he's doing something that's quite funny. Oh, he's doing something that's really serious. Or you know, and mm. hopefully you can't see the chinks. Yeah, just move around. Yeah, you know, and because that's the that's the good fun bit about it is that you don't really know your own personality in these things and you can, you know, you don't have to sort of define yourself as one thing. Yeah. Um, Well, that's what I like about it. But did did it give you a taste to play more bad guys? Yeah, I like playing bad guys. I think that's, um, I just like the, I like getting into that, it sounds really wanky, but I like getting into that psychology, you know, it's cool, it's a fun, 
Although, you know, I mean, I did, yeah, I did some really weird shit as Patrick Bateman, but, yeah, probably shouldn't repeat it on air, but, you know, it's it's weird. You can push your mind into really odd places. But that was the great thing about being the Doctor, is when I started out, I'd, you know, you're trying to get into character, so you have different ways, and I'd run a bath, uh-huh. but in character. So I'd run a bath as the Doctor, and it was just like an interesting experience how does the doctor run a bath well it's not like how we run a bath let me tell you it's <laughs> there's a whole load of other things going on and it's an interesting way to run a bath so any children that are listening run a bath as though you're doctor who with your parents permission of course um and as long as you can swim and um yeah see how it goes well i i i await the reports yeah uh, answers on the on the on the well, they didn't do that anymore, do they? On the back of a postcard. They should. We should demand postcards. Bloody email or tweet Ugh. or Instagram. <laughs> Death to all those things. You don't. You don't social media. No, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes and chop my own ears off. Um, okay, I'm going to take that as a firm no. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned Genesis a minute ago. I do want to ask about this quickly. Um, you were in it, but. Not in it. For a very short time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you film more that then didn't end up on screen? No, 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 that was it. That was it? They were my two scenes, yeah. Wow. So was the plan to come back further down the line? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't know what the plan was in any great detail. It was, uh, I'm sure they had a plan. But um, needless to say, it's, 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 it's not turned out and evolved in the way that perhaps everyone thought it might, so... You know, mm. uh, I'm doing other things instead. Indeed. And the crown as well. I mean, so you're playing the Duke of Edinburgh. Prince of Philip. Prince Philip. Yeah. Who I love now. I didn't really know much about him. He's a really interesting man. He's had a fascinating life. Really? Yeah, totally fascinating life. Really a total maverick. And he's the constant voice of sort of dissidence and the unreasonable one in the royal household, as we see throughout uh-huh. this series. It's quite, he's quite, an, yeah, it's, it's been very interesting. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's going to be on Netflix at some point this year. We don't know much more than that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know when, like maybe October. I mean, okay. I've, I've got no idea, to be honest. They, they just, you film? You're I film and then I leave. <laughs> and then they ask me to come back and promote it. And I reluctantly agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, bless you for doing so. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's only because I have to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to be part of the process. No, no, no. no. This, is, this is actually quite nice because it feels quite relaxed. That's, quite, that's what we go for. Is this what a podcast is? It doesn't yeah. feel like an interview. It just feels like a chat. That's the hope. Which I quite like. Good. I think, I think journalists out there who are listening, surely this is the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah. Rather than ones that feel like just constant... But then, I don't know, maybe they've got a remit to write about certain things. But I think you get much more out of it this way. I mean, we're talking about stuff, which is much nicer. I wanted to ask you about one more thing before we finish. Yeah, please. Um, apparently you are in a deleted scene of In Bruges. As I am. a young Harry. Yeah, as a young Ray Fiennes. I am indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I had a, it was a great scene. I, had to get, I got to go in and chop this guy's head off in a police station. But it never made it in. Wow. Because Ray Fiennes was so brilliant. You just don't need anything else. Because mm. it was about how mad he was. And you're like, well, actually, you just don't need that. Like totally mad already and it's such a great I love Ray Fiennes I think he's such a good actor I, I mean I've seen that film I don't know how many times I had yeah. no idea that you were, you were there well oh, check it out there. on the uh, DVD extras I will definitely watch it wow. yeah um, so so hang on just to, just to finish up so we've got The Crown coming up yes Maplethorpe yes Pride and Prejudice and Zombies obviously uh, yes. this week as, yes. as people yes. listen to it uh, what, what's next for you just a break at some point a break I think maybe and then I might do a play ooh yeah back on stage I hope so what kind of thing? 
Don't Modern know yet. classic, you don't know? Well, I don't, I mean, there's one that's been under my nose for a while, which I'm trying to figure out the dates for. Okay. But I don't want to say in case it doesn't work out. But that would be cool. It's a great part. Awesome. In a, in a, in a pretty, you know, a play that's been done before. But, um, yeah, could be interesting. Oh, mysterious. All Dum-dum. right. And on that note... <laughs> on that note, goodbye. And thank oh, you yeah. Much. Thank you for having me on your, on your nice, affable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the time is 15.57 and 50 seconds. How was he, Helen? How was Matt Smith? He was a delight, actually. He was very, very nice and seemed to enjoy not having to just answer the usual questions. He was positively delighted when I suggested that he was allowed to swear and or go off on tangents, which is nice. Fuck yeah. I love otters. Really? Yeah, they're yeah. rather furry and cute. Absolutely love them. Although giant otters, and Nick will attest to this, uh, not that he's been attacked by any, but you know, we were on YouTube yesterday looking at some. Um, <laughs> I've seen some. Go to the uh, New Forest Wildlife Park. Yeah. It is amazing. They have giant otters and they're, 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 they're pretty ferocious looking. Oh. Yeah. Seriously, they, they bark and stuff. How big? Yeah. Huge. <laughs> I mean, I'm 5'1". <laughs> I can imagine quite a lot. So Even bigger than that. Of course, the biggest and most deadliest otter is, of course, Ray. <laughs> Take your time. All right, time now for some movie news. What's happened? What's happened in the world of, well, of only movies one, really this one week? story this week. MacGyver is coming back. <laughs> Angus MacGyver, the... I'm not sure exactly what his job title is, but he can make anything out of anything. He can make... Is that his he name? He can use these microphones to make... Angus. Angus MacGyver. Angus. I just looked that up. I had no idea until I just looked it up, but according to Wikipedia, it is Angus. And Strong he's been man. running some steakhouses for the last 25 years. <laughs> Bored of that, he's he's back in the game. So he can he can take four pencils and turn it into a defibrillator, or he can take a squirrel <laughs> and a hammer and turn it into a walkie-talkie. It's amazing. I used to love it when I was a kid. I'm excited. James Wan is directing it. Unfortunately, there was talk of it being a movie. Instead, it's going to be a TV show. I don't care. I'm excited. That just means more Angus wow. MacGyver. You and Paddy and Selma from The Simpsons are just like on the same page with this one. That's Absolutely. amazing. So, any yeah. any any word about Richard Dean Anderson returning in some kind of mentor role for a giggle? I'm sure he's going to be back. I mean, what yeah. else is he doing? Stargate's finished, so I yeah. guess he's got some. I, I'm confident he'll he'll be back, possibly as a mentor. Possibly he'll be used to be turned into something else. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, no, I'm excited, and it's amazing that this property has survived MacGruber, frankly, which <laughs> yeah, like, it is, yeah, which is an astonishing takedown. But yeah, is there some actual movie news? <laughs> that's good. That's that's fantastic. He wants to yeah. plug a sulfuric acid <clears throat> leak using chocolate. That is a, a fundamental waste of chocolate. I am appalled. <laughs> but well done. Well done, MacGyver. Just to clarify, Richard Dean Anderson or not Richard Dean Anderson? There has been no casting as of yet, but it's going to be a sh- TV show on CBS. James Wan is going to direct the pilot. And apparently it's a prequel following a 20-something MacGyver as he gets recruited into a clandestine organisation where he uses his knack for solving problems in unconventional ways to help prevent disasters. So I, I think they're going to recast MacGyver. It sounds it. Unless Richard Dean Anderson can somehow manufacture a youth mask out of a paperclip, a water bottle. So we've also got news that the dates of Fast and Furious 9, 10 and 27. We've got the dates for those. I mean, what's driving going to look like in <gasps> 2021? So it's 2017 <laughs> yeah. for number A. Yeah. 2019 mm-hmm. for number nine and mm-hmm. 2021 for number 10. Which will be 20 years of Fast and Furious action. I know. Wow. I firmly believe that they'll be in space by mm. by nine. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're going to save it for 10. They'll be in space in nine and in 10. On Jupiter. On the sun. <laughs> on the <laughs> surface of the, the sun. The sun, yes. 
Yes. And jumping off the sun onto Mercury. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Um, or they'll go the inner space route and they'll be driving within, you know, somebody's body. Or It's going to go nuts. I can't wait. I mean, some would say it's gone nuts long ago, which is what we love about it. But you're right. What is driving going to look like by then? Yeah. Are they actually going to be sitting on couches, remote driving cars around the city or, you know, whatever kind of spaceport they live in at that point? Wow. My mind's blown by this. Sorry, the 20 years thing's just just killed me. I remember watching the very first Fast and Furious in the Paramount screen room. It's not too far away from here. Uh, one of the very first things I ever did for Empire. Which, well, you know, I didn't do anything. I just went to see a film. <laughs> it wasn't a hardship. But I remember how loud it was. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember thinking, oh, that was a fun film. That won't spawn a franchise that will be 10 films old come 2021 that gross over a billion dollars. I'm more amazed they're still making triple X films, I'll be honest. I well, just saw the first photo from the set of triple X free, which looks exactly like you'd expect a photo from the set of triple X free to look like. So it's, it's Finn Diesel on some sort of... Uh, some green screen. Yeah, some sort of jet ski thing with a scantily clad lady yeah. clinging to him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that's actually from the set of triple X three. It's just a natural snap of Finn Diesel in his, in his normal habitat. I think that's... Standard Tuesday. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Just Finn going down the shops. That's all that is. Obviously, they've, they've announced in the past fasts up until 10. They say 10 is going to be the last one. Oh, it won't. I'm going to be introducing <laughs> my grandchildren to these films. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even got a child yet. But <laughs> my grandchildren are going to see them. I don't yeah. know what Vin will be doing. Maybe he'll be a cyborg. I'm thinking Futurama, the heads in the fluid. Are you going to call one of your children fast and the other one furious? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it. No, one Hobbs and the and other he, one Tyrone. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be Dom and Brian. Got to be. Oh, it's gotta oh be. no, that's too, that's too, too soon. painful. Too painful. Too soon. No, it's it, it's a, it's a wonderful touch and tribute. It'd be lovely. You can't help but be so intrigued as to where it's going to go. If ten's the end, whatever. But this franchise has just got so many fans. And I almost want to see what they're going to do. I just want it to keep going because their stunts obviously get crazier and crazier. And as you said, I mean, doesn't everyone want to see them launch off the sun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see who survives. Yeah. Anything, I don't know. I all think of Finn, them, all of them survive. Yeah. Oh, they'll all survive. Finn could survive a head-on impact with the sun. Dwayne Johnson definitely, definitely could. Yeah, absolutely. So there's no, awesome. there's no doubt in my mind. It's very, very exciting, very exciting news. Uh, if you want to know what you're doing in five years from now, yeah, get a big You go to do a job interview, right? And they say, "So where do you see yourself in five years' time?" You say, "Dude." <laughs> I'm watching Fast and Furious 10. <laughs> Cracking open a Corona. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. with my buddies. My family. Uh, what, you know, just family, come. Let's hang out. Family, family, family. Yeah. Live my life a quarter of a mile at a time. Have I got the, I haven't got the job. Okay, thanks. Um, but <laughs> they'll, yeah, they'll be living life a quarter of a parsec at a time. <laughs> <laughs> what does it even mean? I don't know. Scientist Stephen now are getting angry. They're, they're descending upon Empire Towers with pitchforks and torches. What's happening? I can't see Universal ever letting this franchise go, but at some point in the future, when Disney have acquired all of the franchises, Mm. imagine that Star Wars Fast and Furious crossover. It's not as hard to imagine as it should be. Star Fast Wars Furious. There we go. (laughs) I'm kind of worried at the moment about the next one because it's set in New York. And how do you get up a decent speed in New York? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's also bits in, is it Cuba? Yeah, there yeah. are, there are so, But yeah, I was wondering that as well. Like, I feel like I you, they... you're going to have to presumably have like monster trucks and drive over the other cars. Well, I think the French connection showed that you can have a pretty decent car oh, chase absolutely. in New York. I and also, also yeah. who says they have to stick to the streets? And also, they did manage to drive around London at high speeds. In fact, through Piccadilly Circus at mm. high speeds. A suspiciously quiet Piccadilly Circus, mm. it has to be said. Mm. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, worry about that one. 
they're going up to 10. They have said they're going to stop, unlike, uh, this is something that actually happened about uh, two weeks ago, but Bob Iger, the chairman of Disney, said that, uh, essentially confirmed that the Star Wars and Marvel movies will outlive us all. He essentially confirmed that. Well, they'll, they'll make them forever. So he just came on stage ever, and issued ever. a dark threat. <laughs> I'm beginning to suspect he may be Thanos. Before we stop making these. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he is Thanos. Maybe. I'm a little put out. I'm a, I'm a, you know, Helen and I, we're, we're, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're fans of the Marvel movies. And, I, I think and we've kept that one under wraps. It's slightly, slightly annoying me to know that I'm going to die before they finish. I'll never know how to finish. My, my last words will be, but what about Space Bucky? <laughs> Space Bucky. Space Bucky, by that point, will be in space. I see. It'll yeah. be a Bucky okay. in space. Speaking of space, some news was confirmed this week that uh, Alien Covenant, the sort of sequel to Prometheus and prequel to the Alien movies that Ridley Scott is about to start shooting, Dan Anda, is not going to star Numi Rapace. She will not be returning as Dr. Elizabeth Shaw. That's a name you knew off the top of your head and didn't have to look up, isn't it? No, genuinely. I, oh, very well I, I was on set of Prometheus for quite some time, Helen. All those character names are burned into my head. Dr. Elizabeth Shaw, Michael... David, uh-huh. David, 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 that's yes. it. And who can forget Charlize Theron as Get out of the way, Charlize! No, actually. <laughs> run sideways! <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? No, In space, I... no one can run sideways. <laughs> that's the tagline. Helen has raised a good point. Before we discuss this, mm. can anyone name any other characters from Prometheus? See, I was about to say Stack of Pentecost because I just see, <laughs> I just assume Idris Elba is the same character in both those films. Yeah. Rafe Big- Spall, he is a character. No, but characters. <laughs> yeah. Rafe Spall. Uh, Rafe Spall is yeah. a he is I don't a character. Think, I don't think he was playing himself in Prometheus somehow. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was Rafe Spall and Sean Harris. Sean, right? Sean Harris is I Love Rocks, man. Was he, you know, Solomon Lane? I love, I love rocks, Ethan Hunt. What's Logan Marshall Green's character called? Benjamin Kowalski. Button. Benjamin Button, Benjamin Kowalski, and who can forget? Who can forget Kate Dickey as Chief Medical Officer Ford? Oh, Patrick Wilson as Mister Shaw, yeah, uh-huh. Daddy Shaw. Oh, yeah. whoa, 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 I got one. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. <laughs> Guy Pierce. <laughs> oh yeah. As yeah. as Wayland. Yeah. As Wayland. As what? As Wayland. Smithers. No, that's his surname, and his first name Mister. was Mister Wayland. So, <laughs> so there we go. We got it. We got and it. We got uh, it. big bald guy as the engineer. So there, that Amazing. movie has clearly burned itself under consciousness, which is why they're clearly thinking. No point bringing Numi Rapace back because no one remembers who she plays or who she was. So it's an interesting one. I, I suspect that this, like the first Prometheus, has been through many script iterations. I interviewed Numi Rapace on the set of. Animal Rescue, it was called then. It got changed to The Drop. That was mm-hmm. ages ago. And I asked her about Prometheus 2, and she implied heavily that she was going to be doing it, mm-hmm. but hadn't got a script yet, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if uh, <laughs> I wonder if she was originally going to be in it. And, you know, the, the, the first one went through so many changes. Originally it had actual aliens in it and facehuggers and stuff, and they got taken out. Yeah. There's going to be a scene where Michael Fassbender was going to be stroking a, a facehugger like a cat, like, in, like a... Like an wow. evil Bond villain guy, which <laughs> I think they should definitely put in the next one. Although it's just his head, isn't it? So it would just be sort of nudging, nudging yeah. his nose. The one character now to return is Michael Fassbender as David. But apparently the plot of this now is going to take place 10 years after the last one. It's a bit like the Alien 3 syndrome. It's, if anyone was infested in the adventures of Dr. Elizabeth Shaw and David, the headless android, the bodyless android, going off to find the engineer's home planet, which is the stupidest idea. Look what happens when you just meet an off-post of engineers. Bad things happen, so why would you go to the home world? So clearly it's not worked out well for Elizabeth Shaw in her quest to find answers. 
So do you think there are multiple fastbenders? That's that's, uh, that's a rumour, isn't it? Or do you think that he'll just, you know, roll his head over to a new body <laughs> and it will pick it up? I think so. That's clearly going to be it. But that's that's one of the uh, that's one of the rumours. So you know, fingers crossed. I mean, they, you know, they're clearly moving closer towards Alien. That's excitement. That's reason to be excited. That's excitement. That's excitement. So there we go. But no Numi Rapace. So Gwendolyn Christie, however, will be returning, we're told, for uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. She was on the red carpet at the SAG Awards last Saturday and was asked whether Captain Phasma will return and said she will be in the next Star Wars movie, which I think she means the next but one, and said, I think that's an exclusive, actually, to People magazine. So hopefully she will get more to do and will have washed off the garbage mm-hmm. um, or wherever. Yeah. So presumably she got out pretty quickly got straight on a shuttle and thought, you know what, I'm going to evacuate this planet before it explodes into a new sun. I think that was a big misstep in that film. I don't think it it should have been Phasma. I thought she was really working as a character. didn't really do much, but she was kind of... There was a bit of mystique around her. And then she basically betrays the people she's working for and gets thrown in a bin. And suddenly (laughs) all of that character's thing got compromised. I thought there could have just been a random person that they captured. I don't see what they got out of it by making it her. I think it was to give Finn some closure. Because earlier in the film, she told him to put back his helmet, and that's the big moment for those, those characters. Right, so it's like a personal vendetta. It's a personal thing, she, like, how she, dare you tell me to put my helmet on back her on? And she's yeah. she's wearing she's wearing her bin suit, and it's it's all gone wrong. Yay! Well Yay. done. Yeah. Well, well done. I guess. I want to see more Clearly, from that character. It seems that some other people do as well. I um, think. Yeah, you know, it's a good thing. But I imagine that means that this character has caught on and sold a lot of toys. Like what Nick said, I still feel like there was a grander plan at work. I don't think she was ever meant to just be a bit part in the first one. I might be wrong. Because, yeah, she did seem so built up. And maybe that was a bit of a misdirect to sort of say she's going to be massive, but she's not. If she walked on screen and picked up a pen, it would be doing more than she did in The Force (laughs) Awakens. But maybe now knowing that there's a fandom out there, then maybe Ryan Johnson can give her more to do next time around. Yeah. Or she could just get chucked in different bins in each film. <laughs> that would be amazing. Recycling bin next time. The running chuck. Bottle bank. <laughs> they put her in the wrong bin. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's what happened Please this time. Please put your Captain yeah. in the correct bin. Maybe, yeah. maybe they tried to put her in the compost this time and, they, and the she's thing metal. rejected her because she's, yeah. she's metal and, she's, and she should go on recycling yeah. and that's why she was able to escape. That's it. <laughs> that's her little light motif. <laughs> Ron Johnson, if you're listening to this, <laughs> please make that Captain Phasma's arc. That would be awesome. But yeah, something more of that character to do would be good. Other news as well this week, Brian Singer's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which will be his next movie after X-Men Apocalypse, is, you might not be surprised to know, at Fox, where he makes all the X-Men movies and House, and he's had a good relationship with that studio for a long, long time. So we're excited about this, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I am. It was going to be Fincher, wasn't it? Yeah. It's this and uh, Fantastic Voyage, which I'm both I'm excited about both of them. They've both been around for ages mm-hmm. in the de- in development. And Fantastic Voyage was going to be... That went through many directors. Sean Levy was talking about doing it at one point, and I know it was several people before that. I'm really excited. I love old-school adventure movies, and it feels like with today's effects, you could do these stories really well. And I'm excited. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Should be uh, should be interesting to see what happens. So that actually maybe start filming this year, which means it'll be out next year, you'd imagine. Yeah, the way, maybe. The way these, the way these they haven't cast a Captain Nemo yet. They have not. No, they, they're still finding Nemo. Did I trample over your? No, no, no. That, <laughs> yeah. no. Okay, sorry. Right. So, anything else? Supergirl and the Flash are teaming up on TV. Yeah, crossover. That's, that's exciting. That's good. It is. 
Supergirl is obviously on a different network, but those shows have always had a little bit of collegiality, so it's kind of mm. exciting to see them cross the streams. Crossing the streams. And also Flash and, and Supergirl have the same sort of poppy, colourfully, cheery kind of personality. So I think mm. that's, a, that's a good fit. All right, fantastic. Naomi Watts and Tom Sizemore have joined mm, yeah. uh, Twin Peaks, which is not massively surprising news, I guess, especially with Naomi Watts. Mm. Yeah. You know, she's great in David Lynch films and More Than Drive is, is, mm. is a stone-cold classic, so she'll fit definitely. Tom Sizemore, great. He hasn't been in anything for a while. Yeah, running the mock on the set of Twin Peaks. Has anyone seen the stage show Ghost Stories? Helen, you like stuff, I have you? not. It was too scary. I have. I heard it was scary. I got very scared because there was somebody behind me who suddenly moved. I was, I was right at the back oh, and I got scared and I thought it was like part of the show, but it was just someone handing out ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, they were handing out ice creams during the show. They didn't wait for the interval. I uh, know. <laughs> Unorthodox. Oh, you, you think it was a ghost? Ooh. Oh my God. I oh. Just to explain, Ghost Stories is a play. Have you seen it, Emma? One of my friends was in it, but I'm too scared, so I didn't go and see him in it. One of your friends was in it? Yeah, he was the George McKay part that's coming up. Okay. I assume. All right, interesting. What's your friend's name? Chris Levens. Chris Levens. Old friend. Shout out to Chris Levens. Well done, Chris Levens. <laughs> cool. So Ghost Stories is a play that has been running intermittently in the West End for a few years now. It is co-written by Jeremy Dyson of the League of Gentlemen, the non-acting member of the League of Gentlemen, and uh, Andy Nyman, very talented Andy Nyman. And it's scary as hell. So it's, what, three? I haven't seen it. It's a portmanteau uh, thing, and, and yeah. essentially a guy comes out and he's doing a lecture and he's telling ghost stories and the real stories and so you see the stories unfold and it all links in with the guy and there's big twists and revelations it's really good and do things appear in the audience is, it, um, is one of those like you know, just like behind <laughs> <laughs> um, no it's not it's not like a, a woman in uh, black situation she doesn't appear in the audience I remember she doesn't I, thought uh, she I was upstairs in fairness so she may have appeared elsewhere but that was a freaking terrifying show so how does it how is it on the scale of one to women in black uh, i haven't seen women in black ah. i've seen the film of women in black which i didn't think was too scary i i it was there were definitely chills and they were multiplying mm. wow. especially in the second act oh no i thought it was very good so the story is that this is being made into a film jeremy dyson's going to direct it andy nyman's going to star in it alongside martin freeman and george mckay formerly of this podcast so very exciting uh, yeah. It's not on currently, I don't believe, Ghost Stories. I've always wanted to see it, no. and I've, I've just never mustered up the courage. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this week's movie news. And before we go into our next guest, while we're on the subject of Ghost Stories, Nick has a terrifying story involving pie. Yeah, I, I went to Boston for Ghostbusters, and they put us up in the world's most haunted hotel, which uh, the Stephen King story 40, and movie 1408 oh, yeah. are based on. And so I checked in, and I was getting ready to go out, and there was a knock on the door. And there was an old man holding a plate with a piece of pie on it. He said, would you like this pie? And I said, oh, okay. I thought this is something the hotel obviously does. Sure. So I took the pie, ate the pie. It was delicious. And then later on, I... It's <laughs> the worst story in the world. I talked to people in my group and no one else said I'd receive pie. And so I asked someone in the hotel and they said, no, no, we never give out pie. There is no old man who works here. <laughs> this is really well, Twin Peaks. Yeah, so I had eaten unwittingly ghost pie. I have to say, at 1408, if the worst thing that happened to John Cusack in that movie was if someone left him some pie, it wouldn't be much of a movie, in fairness. You weren't there. It was chilling. Was it near Actually, room temperature. Hey! <laughs> if anyone else, uh, listeners, has encountered uh, a slice of If you're still alive after pie, that, yeah. if your heart's managed to take it. Hashtag ghost pie. I'll yeah. be checking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do send in your encounters with ghostly pastry, by all means. Actually, while we're on the subject of ghost stories, Kim Newman of this parish has written a play. He's unstoppable, that man. He writes everything. Anyway, he's written a play called The Ghost Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore. 
And despite that title, I think the ghost train will essentially be stopping in the play because it's going to be a very scary one. But it's a portmanteau horror play featuring a segment by Kim. And that's going to be on from the 7th to the 19th of March here in London at the Tristan Bates Theatre. Is that correct? Yes. So if you're into scary, scary stories, then look out for the ghost train. I don't know if I could take anything else after 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 that. After ghost pie. Poltergeist pie. Wow. Pie to ghost. Pie to ghost. Pie to ghost. Pie to ghost. Whoa. Scary stuff. All right. Our second guest this week is an actor, singer, and one half of the world's most awesome band. Some know him as JB, others as Jables, others still as Wonderboy. But we know him best as Jack Black. He's back in movie star mode this week as R.L. Stein. Yes. Lee R.L. Stein in Goosebumps. And Emma making her interviewerial debut on the podcast. And yes, interviewerial isn't a word, but then neither was podcast until a few <laughs> years ago. Language is a mutable thing. And you really should get off my goddamn back about stuff like this. Uh, instead of judging me, why don't you all take a long, hard look <laughs> at your own lives instead? Maybe see where you're going wrong. Try and make adjustments that will lead to a state of contentment. Chris? <sighs> Went along to talk to him this week. Um, enjoy. So we're delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Mr. Jack Black. Hello, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Did a little radio in mm-hmm. the morning, took a little snooze, I had a cheeseburger, and now I'm here. So, goosebumps. The so, bumps. In a world, bumps gonna goose you. The bumps are gonna goose you. That's a great video, by the way. Did That's you see? Fun. I have seen it. It was a bit of a throwback. Yeah. The old uh, music videos of uh, of old. All of the old catchphrases. You remember? Because it was like uh, how Will Smith used to do a music video for all of his movies. Yes. That's what we were thinking, that we deserved a, a Jack Black music video. With a little rap breakdown in the middle. <laughs> Check it out on YouTube if you get a chance. Bump's going to goose you. Your goose gets bumped. So in a world obsessed with technology, yeah. this film promotes books, which obviously is going to make a lot of parents, I think, pretty happy. Uh, yeah, it promotes reading. Literacy. It's important. Reading is fundamental. And I grew up with these books. Right. And obviously you didn't in a I nice didn't. way. I'm an old man. Wow. I Yeah, they became popular in the 90s and I was already, you know, going to Nirvana concerts and the rest. So what was your introduction to the books? It was this screenplay yeah. for this movie. This is the first time I had ever heard of Goosebumps, to tell you the truth. But after uh, it was decided that I'd be playing the role of R.L. Stein, I went back and read some of the books for research and uh, had a blast they're really fun to read. Was there ever any chat of maybe adapting one book and doing like a little anthology as opposed to putting them you all? You know, this thing has been in the works for many years. And uh, I think it started off as, as a potential Tim Burton project. Mm-hmm. Um, and they couldn't crack the code and they moved on. And then these guys figured out that the best way in was to make R.L. Stein a character. And uh, all of the monsters that he's ever created escape from the original manuscripts because he uses this magic typewriter. And the whole movie is just about getting the monsters back into the books. And it was a really clever device. He sold more than 300 million, which he makes quickly. I believe to Stephen the King. number's 400 million. 400 million. Thank you very climbing much. climbing up very quickly. <laughs> I'm guessing, you know, he could never have imagined that he would be the centre of one of these films as a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I should say, though, that I don't really play him uh, as he actually is. It wasn't an impersonation. The real R.L. Stein is really funny and pleasant and a great guy. You and Rob Letterman, you have a great history together. Yeah, we've made a few films. This is number three, and uh, it's uh, the best of the three, in my opinion. 
I feel like he was really born to do this one because he's obsessed with monsters and he's really a genius with CGI animation and, and the script was so good. I knew this was going to be, you know, a home run. Yeah. You guys don't have home runs in the UK, though. We don't, but we know. A goal. A goal. Back of the net, maybe. It was going to be a back of the netter. <laughs> you guys work really, really well together. So yeah. was there room for you to do any improvisation, sort of go off script at all? Or was it very much with this sort of younger audience? It was kind of a bit more set. You know, it was more like in rehearsals, which Rob likes to do, we would uh, explore the possibilities and um, I would riff in those rehearsals and sometimes that stuff would make it into the script. I wasn't, you know, going off with improvised soliloquies on set. But a couple of improvs made it into the blooper reel. That might be about it. Check out the DVD extras, though, someday. There's a yeah, there's a different opening as well. Isn't that right? Uh, there was a different, an alternate ending. An ending, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a different opening, too. You're right. That's the way it works with these things. You make a masterpiece only by chipping things away. You also voiced the villain, Slappy. Yeah. Who's uh, quite a force to be reckoned with, to put it quite lightly. Yeah, he's the mastermind of all the Goosebumps monsters. He's a little guy. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think that he was uh, the most dangerous of all the creatures, but uh, (laughs) it's his mind. He's pure evil. And what's it like working with the combination of CG and actual real characters? Because a lot of makeup going on as well, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of great costumes and makeup. Every day was another adventure in the the cafeteria, you know? (laughs) Who's, who's going to be uh, eating lunch with us today? Oh, it's uh, the mummy or the aliens. <laughs> it was really cool. I took a lot of selfies with a lot of different Did beasts. You? Have you got a standout favorite amongst the beasts? The swamp creature. He looked like a big, giant, hairy butt. The really big green one. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. You've kind of got this ball on a stick thing down to a T, I'm guessing. It's true. Compared with working with Peter Jackson, for example, have you found your monster movie experiences really different by comparison? Or is there sort of a... I like working with CGI animation where you have to imagine the things there. It kind of goes back to the beginnings of acting when you're a kid in the yard, pretending (laughs) like there's giant beasts chasing you. And yeah, I feel pretty well suited to that kind of movie. Conveniently, The X-Files is just coming back now. Massive resurgence. You yeah. turned up in 1995. And uh, spoiler alert, you got blasted by lightning. <laughs> yeah. But um, were you... Uh, or are by you? Giovanni Ribisi. Of all the people. Who know. Yeah, really good actor. <laughs> but were you a big fan? Are you a big fan of the show? I never really got into the show. But uh, I know that it was a huge hit. I had an insane cult following. Yeah. New, 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 new. Yeah, what are they doing? Another season? Yeah, you've got a few episodes that are just oh. going out at the moment. And See if I can find that on YouTube, the, the original episodes. I've yeah. got a lot of catching up to do. You've popped up in a lot of shows, actually, though. You've got Will and Grace, Community, The Office. Yeah. Do you yeah. have like? Do you have any other ones you really want to take off your list? Oh, oh yeah, I'd like to be on uh, Game of Thrones. I'm not sure what I would do. Court Jester, think? maybe? An aging Court Jester? Aging. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be on uh, The Walking Dead. Zombie or? No, eaten? zombies are, there's no good zombie roles. <laughs> That's true, those, those people are all extras. <laughs> no offense to any zombies that might be listening. What else? I guess that's it. I know I'm forgetting. So I, we've got lots of shows. So many. Me and the lady have the ritual. We watch an episode of something every night. That's how we keep the love alive. I recommend it. <laughs> that's the advice right there. all old married couples. <laughs> watch some television together. No, you once said that Spinal Tap is for rock, what the sound of music was for the hills. Oh, oh, did I say that? (laughs) I don't even remember saying that, but I do hold Spinal Tap in the highest regard. There would be no Tenacious D without Spinal Tap. Sure. Yeah, 
They're, they were the first, to my recollection, of the great rock and roll parodies. Although I heard that there was a great one out of the UK around the same time, maybe a little before. I love it. It's in my top five of all time. Mm-hmm. Christopher Guest, genius. But I, I do sometimes wonder how people in the UK feel about it because he's <laughs> doing an English accent the whole time. Yeah. I wonder if it's like... Oh, no, little... it's absolutely loved over here okay, for the most part good. as well. We still appreciate it as cults. But everything's getting remade at the moment. Yeah. Say someone approached you and said, you know, do you want to do a Spinal Tap remake? Would you be straight in there? Oh, Would you have to think very, about that? That'd be very strange. I'd have to think about it. You know, that whole thing was improvised too, right? I think there was just a skeleton sort of outline of a script yeah. and they filled out all the, the dialogue with genius improvisation. That'd be some big, heavy boots to fill. I think part of that magic is that it was their own creation, yeah. you know? That's something I think that you have to generate yourself to get that kind of magic. So could Tenacious D maybe do their own sort of parody parody? Well, I definitely have some more Tenacious D materials building in the shadows as we speak. You do? Anything, yeah, me and Kyle can... are working on a new album and yeah. we've got a little animated television series we're developing. And yeah, nothing that I can really talk about sure. because it's too top secret. Very secret. It's classified. <laughs> we look forward to that a lot. Thank you. Moving on to High Fidelity. Yeah. Actually, how did Stephen Frears get you involved in that project? You know, it was Tenacious D that I think got me that role. I think John Cusack actually loved my band and wanted me to play Barry yeah. in, in High Fidelity. And I was wary of it at first because I was like, you know, I've got Tenacious D. It's going really good. I don't know if I want to do a movie about music that kind of messes with the same subject matter. It might be a bad decision. Luckily, I I decided to do it, though, because it was like the defining role of my career. Mm -hmm. That's when I I really started cooking. Did you have any say in making up the names for the fictional bands in the movie, specifically thinking of, obviously, Sonic Death Monkey? Oh, yeah. No, I think they had those all uh, picked out. Those were all real bands, I think. Yeah. I don't know how we got away with it. (laughs) They're amazing. Yeah. What's all your favorite memory from working on that shoot? All the days that we had in the record store were pretty great. And just remembering John Cusack behind the camera, like really like emotionally involved in all of the comedy yeah. and like coming up to me in between. It was like Stephen Frears and John were, were equally inspirational for me. And just, you know, seeing Stephen Frears every day was incredible because he was already one of my favorite directors. It was surreal. It's like, oh my God, you directed Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> now you're directing me. And also singing Let's Get It On at the end of the film. Yeah. That was a, a big breakthrough for me. And uh, yeah, facing the, the, the fears of singing such a kick-ass song was a fun challenge. You know, they didn't want me to sing that. The idea was that I would sing a different Marvin Gaye song. Yeah, which do you know? The which... one that had the whole like legal brouhaha recently. But thank you to go out to parties. And I was like, guys, that's not the song. I should sing Let's Get It On. If we're going to have a big finish to the movie, let's party. Let's go hard. Let's go strong. And they're like, all right, if you want to sing it, but it's a big song. And I was like, what have I done? They're right. It's too big a song. It's too hard. But yeah, that was the song. Talking of songs, you and Will Ferrell have this phenomenal tradition. Well, I said tradition. You've done it a few years of singing a wonderful song at the Oscars. Oh, yeah. We did it a couple times. Mm-hmm. We're, we're due for another one. This is what I was going to say. What, what would you like to approach? I mean, there's... I don't know. Those were two pretty strong concepts, though. Yeah. The first one was my favorite because it was... Uh, 
we were presenting the Oscar for Best Song, mm -hmm. and um, the gag was that the music that they play when you go on too long in your acceptance yep. speech, that, no, 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 to give you the, the hook, like the so to speak, that that actually had lyrics, and then we sang <laughs> the lyrics to that song, that music. That was pretty funny. And then the second one was the comedian at the Oscars yeah. Yeah, John C. is the Riley. saddest man in town because we never get Oscars. So, yeah, I don't know. There's got to be something else we could do. Get back to us on that one. What do you think? You have any ideas? Would be funny I think the perfect do? formula to presenting. I think there needs to be something. There needs to be a song a guidebook. That's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe we can make that happen. Yeah. I'll okay. give you credit if we do it. Thank you. Talking of Will, again, your buddies Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller, they're about yeah. to unleash Zoolander 2. I know. Is that coming out the same weekend as Goosebumps? It's the weekend after for us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're it's okay. Not, it's not head-to-head -head combat. It wouldn't be anyway. It's for a different audience. I'm yeah. sure that they've got some kind of a, a rating system here, right? Yes. Yes. Theirs is definitely Theirs is, not for the same people no. that Goosebumps is for. It's, it's grown-up humor. Yeah. So there should be no bloodshed between <laughs> us. So they've got Zoolander 2 and Will also had Anchorman 2 not that long ago. Yeah. But of all your characters that you'd most like to revisit and go for a sequel, who would you like to oh, bring back to the yeah. screen? Well, you know, I wish that there could have been an awesome School of Rock 2 yeah. or... I love Nacho Libre. I don't know how yes. you feel about it, but those would have been fun to reprise. Goosebumps would be fun to do another one. Yeah. I haven't done any sequels, which uh, is fine with me, actually. It's quite rare. It's actually not true. Kung Fu Panda. Oh, well, I'm coming out <laughs> on the third one. So what am I talking about? <laughs> but live action. Mm -hmm. You know, it's different. Talking of Nacho, what sort of characters do you prefer playing? Is it sometimes really nice to go back into the restrained sort of roles? I mean, Bernie wasn't exactly restrained, but that's such a different character that we fell in love with. I like playing characters that I can disappear into a little bit with an accent or with a different look. It's fun to build a character in that way. I like playing outsiders, you know, mm -hmm. characters that don't quite fit into uh, mainstream culture. It's kind of my niche. Chris Hewitt, who reviewed this for us, he was saying how it feels like a real 80s throwback, Goosebumps. You know, references to Monster Squad, that's sort of where we're going. Yeah. What were your sort of big films as a kid? Did you try and watch those things that you weren't maybe allowed to? Or When I think back to the movies that I loved the most, I always loved watching uh, The Wizard of Oz on television. But what was the big one? I loved, uh, what was that one, uh, Breakfast Club. Amazing. That was a rad movie. And I also really liked... The Road Warrior. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty badass. Terminator. Mm hmm But what comedies did I dig? Blazing Saddles. Oh, superb. Uh, yeah, Mel Brooks, genius. You know, the first comedy that I went to see in the movie theater was uh, called uh, Murder by Death. <laughs> and it was pretty funny. Peter Sellers was amazing in it, in a role that... I don't think you'd see him do if he was still alive today. You'll have to check that out. But um, that was a great combination of scary and funny that I think we tried to achieve, too, in Goosebumps. You know, sure. It's a rare thing that when you pull it off, it's a great combination. What else did I see that I loved? Oh, I saw um, Cheech and Chong up in smoke. I was probably too young to see that, too. <laughs> that definitely inspired Tenacious D. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Jack you. Black. We did it. Uh, Jack Black there, one half of Tenacious D, of course. I was glad that I couldn't make that one, Del Boy. Oh, that's <laughs> finally made it onto the podcast, isn't it? Yeah, that's made it onto the podcast. Uh, Emma's nickname is Del Boy. Oh, I can't no... remember. Oh, yeah, now, here, yeah, yeah, now I remember why. All right, so her surname is Thrower. So I was thinking, what do you throw? Oh, throwing, throwing. You have throwing cushions, right? You you, you throw you throw cushions. You throw cushions. Throw cushions. Cushions. Cushti. Who says Cushti? Del Boy. Del Boy. There we go. Right, what? so. Right. <laughs> <to> me, yeah, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. 
So how was he? Was he was he good? He was good. Yeah, as I was saying to you uh, yesterday, as soon as I walked in the the room to talk to him, he was just you know singing as I was setting up the equipment. So that was lovely. That was awesome. That's awesome. A little little bit of singing in that interview as you've heard, Mm. but um, I wish I could have captured that beginning bit because it was glorious. It'd be great to have a live performance of tribute. As I walked into the hotel, no word of a lie, that's the last song that came onto my iPod. Weird. Whoa. It's almost as spooky as Ghost Pie. This is not the greatest interview in the world. No, this is just a tribute. I saw Tenacious D play live at Comic-Con on stage of Hall H oh, a few years ago when they were promoting The Pick of Destiny. It was amazing. And I was sat right next to Joss Whedon, who was loving <gasps> it. Of course he was. Talking it was Comic-Con. extraordinary. Talking at Comic-Con, last time I was out there, I got to see the Goosebumps panel with Jack Black, and it was amazing because after they did the Q&A, all the creatures and monsters and vampire poodles and assorted <laughs> yeah. weird things from the movie came out and basically grabbed Jack Black and dragged him off stage mm-hmm. awesome. and it was it was incredible it's on YouTube definitely look for that because wow. it is really really funny I watched it this week and no one has seen him since is that right? <laughs> that's true yeah it was Ghost Jables yesterday Ghost Jables <laughs> right that's time to review that that let's time <laughs> yeah let's Woo. time to review a movies and we're going to start with Goosebumps this week it's, uh, it's another crowded schedule let's start with Goosebumps uh, what is Goosebumps Hell's Bells. Hi. So this is a story that starts with, you know, AN average teen Zach, played by Dylan Minnette, and his mum, played by Amy Ryan, moving to a new town following the death of his dad. He meets the girl next door, played by Odea Rush, and she seems very nice, but there's something a bit weird going on. Her dad, who's played by Jack Black, won't let her out of the house, doesn't want her hanging out with him, is weirdly overprotective, seems like there might be something quite sinister going on there. And so Zach kind of wants to investigate and also kind of rescue her from this awful parent, apparently, with his new friend Champ, played by Ryan Lee, who's very, very funny. So the two of them basically break into the house in an attempt to rescue the maiden from this ogreish dad and discover instead a bunch of books, manuscripts, in fact, the manuscripts to the Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein, which are, of course, one of the best-selling series ever in the world, as he points out in the movie. It actually sells more than... Stephen King and all those other ones combined. So, unfortunately for them, the manuscripts are also a bit magic. So this is Stein himself. This is Stein himself. Jack Black, it it emerges, is Stein himself. And it turns out that these magic manuscripts hold the monsters from the books captive. And if you accidentally open them, then let's say the abominable snowman of Pasadena will get out and will rampage through the town. And if, while you're trying to get him back in the book, you accidentally unlock one of the others say, I don't know, holding a ventriloquist's dummy with malevolent intent, (laughs) then you could be in a serious issue because that dummy may get out, let everybody else out and cause total chaos across an entire township. Mm. So this is a really kind of 80s feeling, very Amblin. Joe Dante. uh, Joe Dante, yeah, very, yeah, lots of gremlins, kind of touchstones there, kind of adventure story, basically. It's really old-fashioned in that way, but with with pretty good effects, actually, for uh, what was presumably a reasonably low-to-mid-budget film. And it's just actually really, really funny. I think people... I know people who, who can't stand Jack Black, and I think they should give him a chance here because he's really, really good. Who are um, these people? There are, honestly, I know people. Bring Lots them to of me. people. <laughs> Have you shown them School of Rock? They, yeah, School of Rock is usually the one they, they cite as an exception. But honestly, it's just, it's really good fun because you've got these people chasing all over town. You've got a really deep bench of comedy supporting 
characters, people in there like Gillian Bell from 22 Jump Street, people like Timothy Simons and Ken Marino, just like, even only for little moments, they just give it a little bit of extra comedy. And the monsters themselves are so ridiculous that it actually keeps you as entertained as you are occasionally scared scared in more of a jump scare way than a you know creeping dread sort of yeah. a way but it, it it's going to scare kids a little bit at least in a nice way I the think. werewolf is uh, is quite scary there's yeah. a good, very good scene in the supermarket yes. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun this it is a throwback it's very old school it's a bit of monster squad in there it feels like you know it's a, it's a fun high concept idea i like that rl stein is in that as a character yes mm-hmm. yeah it was good for me it wasn't as good as those Gio Dante movies and those kind of Amblin movies but it's fun and Jack Black is is really good in it. He's got the sort of monstrous ego of a very successful writer but also the massive guilt of someone who has accidentally created you know <laughs> terrifying monsters. Yeah. So it's kind and Jack of Black voices Slappy the, the ventriloquist doll that you mentioned as well. Yes. Probably the star character. And mm. the invisible boy. Mm-hmm. As well, yeah. I really like this film. I gave it four stars. I wrote the Empire Review. Hey, look at him. (laughs) I give it four stars. Nick thinks it's three, but Nick's a curmudgeon. He's only impressed by ghost pie. There was no ghost pie in this movie, and that's why he didn't like it. There's a lack of of haunted desserts. I imagine Hollywood's been trying for years to adapt the the Goosebump series, of which I don't know. I haven't read. Have you read any? Oh, I grew up with them. This is the thing. It was really weird watching it at 27, because I grew up with all of them. I'm remembering all of the characters as they come up. It's like a little tick list. And apparently they've got pretty much every single monster in there. I felt really in on the joke. I saw it in a pack cinema and everybody got it. That was really strange because I can't believe now, this many years later, that I'm getting the film that I would have loved. I think I'd probably go more three, but I had so much fun with it. I'm kind of with you on a four. I think it was really, really good fun. We we, we laughed a lot in the screening we were in. And uh, that's that's the principal thing for me. It's a a very funny, very sprightly movie. It does rely on the jump scares, but it's got got a creepy, there's a bit of menace in there. I think Jack Black is is fantastic as R.L. Stein. And I just think it's a really brave decision to... Because you could make probably... Although the books, I believe, are very slight, but you could probably take Mm. the books and expand them and turn each one into a movie and have a huge franchise but no at some point I believe the idea came from Scott Alexander and Larry Karasuski who had the original idea for the movie to take Arl Stein and make him an actual character and to have his books be the source of the of the movie's friction I think that's a really fun idea really interesting and what it does it allows it to comment on other horror movies and other horror writers and there's a very funny Stephen King uh, thread running throughout the uh, through the movie uh, which is really really good so, Steve, yeah. King. Steve, Steve King, King. Steve King Steve King Steve King Steve King it should be probably pointed <clears throat> out that as a warning there is a absolutely terrifying clown in this film <laughs> I was deeply upset by it he doesn't do a lot but he's just there and, and just be warned <laughs> okay. I don't like clowns. Okay. I'm just looking at the uh, the cast list on IMDb. At a certain point, it just goes from, you know, character names, Coach Carter, Mr. Rooney, Dumb Jock, Screaming Girl, and then it's literally just about a dozen people. Monster, 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 monster. It does feel monster, like this, monster, this film monster, is monster, every monster. Scooby-Doo cartoon rolled into one. <laughs> it is. They've just gone nuts. Oh, there's, yeah, there's you know, one-legged pirate ghosts mm-hmm. and there's, mm. you know, evil gnomes. It's Those whole- gnomes are fun, actually. It's yeah. a whole lot of fun. And speaking of movies about evil gnomes, Dad's Army oh. <laughs> is back. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So this is the reboot, if you will, of the classic 1970s. Literally, because they have boots on. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sitcom. Yeah, um, they, they, uh, yeah. yeah, they said that it would never work. They said it was a terrible idea. It kind of has proved, if not to be a terrible idea, then not maybe the triumph that the people were 
not expecting or hoping for. Oh, that's that's. Um. I, it's the problem. The problem here is that the original is so beloved, and it's beloved, I think, not just because of the very sharp writing, but because the cast works so well together, and they made those characters so iconic. So, for people who perhaps don't know what Dad's Army is, give them a quick recap. What's the TV show? The idea is it's set during World War Two. The show obviously was made later than that. It was made in the late 60s and 70s. But it's set in World War Two in a place called Warmington-on-Sea, which is a little coastal town in Britain. And it's about the Home Guard, who are a bunch of people who are not off serving in the war. And they're basically either quite old or inept or generally just or foolish. Both. Or both. And they basically it followed their adventures as they basically tried to stop Nazi invasion. Mm. And they occasionally encountered Nazis, but more often they were just, you know, being menaced by local animals and things like that. So <laughs> it's uh, it's very good fun. I watched all 80 episodes over Christmas, uh, which was an intense experience, but good fun for the magazine. And then you topped it off with the film. And then I watched the film, which I enjoyed elements of. There are some really good performances in here, but I just don't think it quite lives up to the TV mm. show. Uh, Toby Jones is Captain Mannering, who's kind of the central character. He's the leader of the unit. Uh, you've got Bill Nye. He is his second in command, Sergeant Wilson. You've got Tom Courtney as the very eccentric Lance Corporal Jones. Michael Gambon is the doddery Godfrey. <laughs> Blake Harrison is Private Pike, who's the youngest one, who's basically a bit like an in-betweener but uh, a bit more innocent than that, maybe. Uh, a lot more innocent. He's not talking about clunge. He's through. not talking <laughs> okay. about clunge. There's no, there's no clunge in, in Dad's Army. Daniel Mays is Private Walker, who's the kind of the dodgy geezer. Bill Pateson is Private Fraser, who's the angry Scotsman. And so you've got all those guys. Mark Gatiss is in it as well. You've got Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is a uh, glamorous reporter who may or may not be something else. <laughs> Nazi spy. <laughs> it's, re- it's basically revealed five minutes in that she's yeah, a Nazi this is spy, not a spoiler. so it's not really uh, a spoiler. And yeah, a lot of the performances are good fun. Like Toby Jones is is really good he's as great, Mannering. Yeah. I think he you know he goes in a different direction to Arthur Lowe from the TV show, and he's a bit more mild mannered, but he's he does some great slapstick. And I really like Michael Gambon. Oh, he was wonderful in it. Yeah, the exact opposite of Dumbledore. No, he was I more think that's Bumble- fair. Bumbledore. Bumbledore. There we go. And Tom Courtney as well to do this straight after forty-five years is a is an interesting transition. <laughs> I love the cast. I thought they I thought they did really well. They fit the archetypes that had been established by the show, but you know they they kind of bring a little bit of their own energy to it. I think it does sag at times. I think something. This is essentially a farce, and that's a lot easier to do and sustain over half an hour than it is to sustain over, you know, an hour and three quarters or whatever this was. So I think it does kind of lag in places. But I did laugh, you know, there were Mm -hmm. funny bits. And, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones coming into the sort of agent provocateur who's going to, you know, get all these guys kind of slightly tripping over themselves to impress her was was quite fun as well. So, yeah, I I had a nice time, but I'm not sure I'd rush out to see it. I feel like if you see it on TV some Sunday night in a few months, you're not going to miss a huge amount. I agree with that, yeah. I think think when your big action set piece involves people hiding behind different bits of furniture um, (laughs) from their wives (laughs) in Catherine Zeta-Jones' cottage uh, where they've gone to visit her, it's probably you can probably wait for the DVD quite safely, but it has got it's got some some sharp lines in it, and I did laugh. You know, it's got an inspired gag involving roly poly pudding. Um, probably the only film this year to do so. But there you go, filmmakers, your challenge to, to come <laughs> sure up with a better be gag in, in next Fast and Furious. Roly poly pudding. Maybe that's what Rogue One could actually be about. They're stealing the plans for a lovely roly poly pudding. I'm slightly dismayed that you didn't like this this much. I was really looking forward to Dad's Army. Yeah, it's um, you know. It's fine. It's fine. And I think, you know, a good cast will only get you so far. 
as Glenn Ross proves. What? <laughs> I don't know, just thought I'd pick it a classic <laughs> that I love. <laughs> don't know why I picked that one anyway, but there you go. But it is a fantastic cast, but ultimately it does feel like you know they're doing karaoke of something else, which already is brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. It already is on TV for free, so yeah. why would you want to pay a lot of money to go and see it on the big screen? Yeah. Do you think? I think it still could be a monster hit, though. I don't think so. I really do. I think it'll do all right. I'm going to split the difference. Yeah. Monst- mo- we've, had no. this, we've had this conversation in the office. For Biggest months. film ever. About no. certain people think this is going to be an absolute smash and make all the money. I just can't see it. I mean, it has been talked about a lot on UK radio, yeah. bus ads, all the rest. So it, I think mm. it'll do respectably, but I don't know how big it will be. However, if it does do brilliantly, maybe we'll finally get that a low, a low movie that I know we all want. Yes. I actually would love that. That would be hilarious. I'm not it sure who would play whom, but. <laughs> Can you imagine if this becomes absolutely massive and turns into the next Fast and Furious movie and we're talking about Dad's <laughs> Army 10 spin offs? That'd be amazing. Let's do it. I'd love it. I, I would genuinely love it. And each film gets progressively worse. No, but I don't know why I'd love it. They're hiding behind progressively larger pieces of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> the the roly poly pudding is getting. Fast and Furious got better, though, at a certain point. So, you know. No, that's true. Really I, wasn't, I wasn't directly comparing Dad's Army to, to Fast and Furious. I was just. You're saying, that, so you're saying they should bring the rock in? <laughs> I think they should, oh, yeah. For the next one? Yeah. Of course, sequels are, tend to be darker. So the next one would have to. One of them would have to die. Pike would have to step on a grenade or something, you know, and just bits of Pike all over the place. It's all gone a bit Tropic Thunder. Mm. Let's move on now from Dad's Army, which Nick gave two stars to. That is not a recommendation. On to Trumbo, the tale of a baby elephant that believes it can fly. No. Um, that's not the film I saw. Oh, OK. Not which one did you say? Well, the one right. I saw, for those who don't know the story about the non-elephant called Trumbo, Hollywood screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, played by Brian Cranston, is celebrated for his work, but he's barely tolerated for his vocal communism. Then, when the Red Scare goes into full effect, he and his fellow leftist writers are punished and exiled for their views. So, pretty much just about as dark as Dumbo. Trumbo's a bit of a funny one, and a film that arguably could have been far more effective on the small screen, due Mm. to sort of the brilliant array of supporting actors it boasts. It's a ridiculous cast. You've got John Goodman, Michael Stuhlbarg, Louis C.K., Alan Tudyk, just for starters. Who does Louis C.K. play? He plays Trumbo's like best friend, yeah. um, fellow lefty. He's actually a composite character from a number of different figures because oh. they wanted to slightly change his story. Oh, and he's really, he's really, he's really good, really good yeah. in it. And then you've got Helen Mirren as well, Dame mm-hmm. Helen Mirren. And Dan reviewed this for us, and as he so perfectly said, she doesn't so much chew the scenery as wither it with her glare, which is so spot on. And granted, she absolutely tears up the screen. We'd obviously never expect anything less, but you want a little bit more from the others. And I feel. Honestly, if people of a lesser calibre had been cast, I genuinely think that you wouldn't feel this way. So you can't berate Jay Roach for gathering such a stellar ensemble. It's just that you do want to see more of them, especially Stuhlbarg and Louis C.K., who Mm. I think are really, really great, along with Alan Tudyk. But they they always are the three of them. Yeah, Stuhlbarg especially. He's Edward G. Robinson, which is not an exact match in terms of physicality, Mm -mm. I don't think, but but a really fascinating figure at this time and, and where he's placed in this story. I'm kind of with you. I think it's it's a fascinating figure and fascinating bench of characters mm. and a, you know, terrifyingly relevant time in Hollywood in some ways. But it's just a very by the numbers telling of that story and telling of that time. Yeah. And it it just feels like your standard biopic. It's well done and Cranston particularly, he's playing such a huge character that you almost think is he going to over the top, but he isn't. You realize mm. as the film goes on that's just who Trumbo is. Yeah. But yeah, you just needed a little bit more flair, I think, from Roach. Yeah, the performances are definitely bigger than the sum of its parts. It is very basic, but I think everybody in it elevates it. Yeah, Cranston, he absolutely embodies Trumbo, and it is like a really big, grandiose performance, but I think it's very much an actor's performance, if that makes sense, and at times you're very aware of that. 
So as you said, you know, I personally think he borders on the caricature a little bit on occasion. And Trumbo obviously is a man with his eccentricities, but it works. He is wonderful, even though, you know, for me, I am quite aware of that little sort of line he's maybe just edging towards sometimes. He's matched really beautifully by Elle Fanning and Diane Lane, who's rather underused as usual, as his daughter and wife, respectively. But, you know, as a tale of Hollywood history and the courage of the human spirit, I think it's absolutely worth your time. Mm. If not just for John Goodman wielding a baseball bat during one rather Cone-esque moment. Uh, To put it lightly, he's having a great time in that and he's barely in it. But also keep your eyes peeled for Kirk Douglas. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because Mm. that for me was my favourite sort of little bit that was going on. And once I realised who the actor was that was playing him, afterwards I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, he's really That's good. Very, very funny. Then but it's yeah. not Kirk Douglas using the technology from Ant-Man. To play. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, it like for you. Tr- really? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But he's, I mean, it is a fascinating time in Hollywood history. So if you're just after a primer on what happened, I think this is really mm. interesting. And, and it's also at a time when I think we're inclined to limit our own civil liberties in the pursuit of some kind of security, I think it's an interesting reminder of the dangers of doing that. So I yeah. think it's it's more timely than one would like. Yeah, I would agree with Dan. I'd definitely give it three stars. It is really hard to believe that these things happen so recently in the grand scheme of things. And it, yeah, it does do a grand job of sort of making you feel ashamed of humanity in a way <laughs> at times, which is... Hooray! But also yeah. inspiring, but also inspiring yeah, you in the end. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there, there is hope there as well. It's yeah. not too gloomy. And an Oscar nomination for Brian Cranston. So. Quite right. There what we on Mr C? Three stars. Three stars, despite Cranston's amazing Oscar-nominated performance for Trombo. So that's a recommendation. Go and check that one out. But in descending order this week, Goosebumps, Trombolo... <laughs> <laughs> Dad's Army and then the remake of Point Break which we're not going to review because none of us here have seen it believe me we wanted to see it as much as you wanted us to see it because you know it looks daft and I don't think we'd have a lot of fun talking about it but we didn't because it didn't screen very widely over here almost as if somehow the film wasn't very good and they were trying to hide it what but hey there you go Stiffed in the States meant to be very very bad I saw 25 minutes of action sequences, which were pretty good. Admittedly, the talking bits weren't that great, but there you go. <laughs> so that's the, uh, the remake of Point Break, which we gave two stars. Two stars, yeah. too. That's not a recommendation. Can I just say that, sorry, while we've been recording this podcast, the following news story has just been announced. Matt LeBlanc is going to be Top Gear's new co-presenter. What? <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. That's... What the hey? Sorry, I, so I was just... <laughs> this is a... Ama- this is... What is, it, is going on? Is he going to say, how are you driving? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> that's all he does. That's, that's I'm worth gonna start, I'm going to start watching. This I've never watched Top Gear, but I'm, I'm now on board. Well, hang on. Apparently, he recorded the fastest ever celebrity lap time in starring a reasonably priced car. Yes, this is so true. So maybe he really knows cars. But oh. Apparently, he does. And apparently, he's hosted the Top Gear spinoff. I had no knowledge of this whatsoever. But uh, that's astonishing. We need Joey. to get him in to talk about this. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Joey from Friends in to talk about cars. Because the last time Joey had a car on Friends, it was he ended up pretending it was a, a, a car yeah, with a load of cardboard boxes <laughs> under a tarpaulin. So it doesn't it doesn't fill me with with, with confidence really. Star in a bunch of reasonably priced cardboard boxes doesn't have the same ring to it. But it doesn't no. On that bombshell, it is time to say goodbye to this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more formulated fun. It's another bumper show next week. Listen to this. It's like Graham Norton's sofa in this place. <laughs> right. Uh, we're going to be joined by Ryan Reynolds, star Ooh. and producer of... <laughs> wow. That was us last week, so thank star you Star and producer that. of Deadpool. We're going to be joined by Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson from ah. Sealander 2. Wow. What? <laughs> and They are so hot right now. <laughs> and time permitting, because we, we might bump them for the hell of it, Stephen Fry. 
oh, the yes. host of the BAFTAs, will also somehow cram his mighty frame into this horrible, dingy, grey, just life-sucking booth. Yep. And he'll come up with more better words. More better words for that. Well done. <laughs> I'll put myself forward and interview that. So, Stephen, I've been noticing that you've been using more better words recently. Tell me about your vocabularistics. Unbelievable. Anyway, until next week, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Nick. See ya. It's goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to eat a nice, juicy slice of Nick's ghost pie with a side order of spectral cream. See you next week. Bye-bye.